my Bible will be open at Genesis chapter 22. I would encourage you to do the same. We'll be studying from that passage together here in just a moment. It's good to see everybody this morning, to be able to worship with you, to be able to spend this time with you together. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you and let you know we're excited to have you here worshiping God with us as well. Uh, over, this month, over this summer, over the last few months, John and I have been kind of working our way through the life of Abraham. And we have uh, preached several lessons on various Sundays. We did a podcast with various episodes going through his life. And this will be not the very end of the life of Abraham, but for our uh, intents and purposes, it will be the end of our time with Abraham. Probably not forever. There's a chance I'll preach about Abraham sometime again in the future, but we'll see. But we'll be here in Genesis chapter 22. And there's a lot of lessons that come from this story in the life of Abraham. It's a story that a lot of you will certainly be familiar with. We're going to kind of this morning break it up into two different pieces. In a lot of ways, it'll kind of come across as two different lessons. I'll tie them together. We'll have a segue between the two. But I want us to look at this passage this morning, and we're not going to get complicated with it. We're going to read it together. We're going to talk about some applications that can come from it that will help us in our life and the ways that we come across various tests in life, various times of suffering in life. How do we deal with that? Well, there are a lot of applications that come directly from Genesis chapter 22 that will help us. We'll talk about those. But I also want us to uh, also point out the fact that the story that is given to us in Genesis chapter 22 is one of, if not the best pictures or types given to us specifically pointing to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And I don't want to miss that. I don't want to lose sight of that. So we're going to do both of those things together this morning. When we get to Genesis chapter 22, just to kind of set in context and perspective, it seems almost from the very beginning of the life of Abraham, we've made mention that he's done all of these things advanced in age. Even when he's introduced to us at the very outset, when he moves, when he receives the promises that he'll bear a son, Isaac, and all the things that he goes through with taking upon himself, the mistake that he makes in a moment of weakness with the story of Ishmael, and even when Isaac was born, all the time we're making points about Abraham's an old fella. He was an old man when God asked him to leave. He was an old guy when he made those promises. And he was even older when Isaac was born. Well, listen, he was even older in this story in Genesis chapter 22. He's over 100 years old. He is an aged man and a life filled with tests from God and a life filled with moments of suffering and difficulty. It is here, well after his 100th birthday, that he faces arguably his greatest test, his most difficult moment that God places in front of him. And I think even with that idea, and I think not just here, but in the story of Abraham itself, I think the idea is there, and so we're going to make it, that certainly we're never too old to face new challenges. We're never too old to fight new battles, and certainly we're never too old to learn new truths. 
And so if we ever find ourselves in a position where it is that I don't need to learn anything else, I don't need to face anything else, we are losing sight of what God has in store for us. And so in Genesis chapter 22, a man that is over 100 years old faces what, again, is arguably his greatest of tests in a moment that God brings to him here. So let's read this story together in Genesis chapter 22. And again, I've made mention, we're going to make some, at the beginning, some principles and some applications that I think can help us. And then we will talk about the picture of Jesus that is given to us here in a beautiful way in Genesis chapter 22. But let's read the text together first. Hopefully you're there by now. Genesis chapter 22, we're going to read all of it, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 14. So it says, now it came to pass that after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. And so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. And they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there. He placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son. He laid him upon the altar, upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. It's a remarkable story. It's remarkable. I don't know how many times I've read that story in Genesis 22, a bunch of times before this week, and then this week a bunch more times. I mean, and probably you're the same. This probably is not the first time that you've read this story, you've heard this story, but each and every time, it is a remarkable story that unfolds. In the life of Abraham, where God has laid on him so many things, here towards the very end of his life, we're not many chapters here in Genesis where Abraham dies. We're not long from that. We're at the very end of his life, and God takes it now, now to lay this incredible test upon him. This son, who I promised to you so many years ago that everything was based upon, 
that even when you made a, a terrible mistake with Ishmael, I reiterated that no, it will be this son, the one born to you through Sarah. Isaac, he will be the key. He will be the one that everything streams out of. It's this child that God now goes to Abraham and tells him, I want you to take that one and I want you to sacrifice him to me on the mountain. It's an incredible thing to think about. I mean, it's incredible. And yeah, there are so many things that, that we could talk about here to, as a father to try to imagine if God were to ask something like that of me, how difficult that test would be. And, and we can certainly think about some of those things, but I want to share with you a couple of application points from this text that I think can be helpful to us. We're going to start with a couple of things, and I'll stream off of that a couple of directions. And the first one, I think, is this, that number one, we have to expect tests and we have to accept moments of suffering to happen. As a Christian, especially, uh, maybe you were here this morning and you were in the car driving and maybe you were in a discussion and you were saying, man, I wonder what Jeremy's going to preach about this morning. And probably your answer immediately, someone was going to say, well, he's probably going to preach about holiness, Right? That's the, that's the train he's been on. Last three Sundays, he's preached about holiness. Why would he stop here? Well, listen, I don't disagree with you. Why should we stop right here? When we strive to live a holy life, what that is by definition is different. What that is by definition is separate. When we strive to live a holy life, and that's what we've talked about over the last several weeks, living that kind of life. When we step out different, when we separate ourselves from the world, that will equal difficulty. That will equal testing. That will equal, equal moments of suffering. Just living a holy life will equal those things. And so we have to then expect difficulty. We have to expect testing. We have to expect moments of suffering. And so when they happen, don't be shocked. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised. Expect them. But then the second piece of that, when we expect them, always remember that God has promised us that he will not allow anything to come up on top of us that we cannot handle. So we've got to expect it for sure. It's going to happen. Difficult times, moments of testing, suffering, all of that is going to take place and even amplified when we strive to live a holy life, but also at the same time really dig into the idea that God will not let us be overcome with those. That's where Abraham was. He was expecting this. God calls to him at the very beginning, and what do we see? He's ready. He's ready for it. That's very reminiscent of the very outset of his story. When God calls on him to leave, he's ready. He's accepting of whatever God has for him. And it's the same thing here. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever you have. And he lays on him this super difficult thing, and he says, I'm ready for that. Let's pack it up. It's an incredible piece of faith that Abraham exhibits here in the face of this monumental test. But the second thing that I see specifically from this passage is the idea over and over and over, the point is made that God will provide. Simply put, God provided to Abraham 
everything that was needed. Now, it didn't happen right away. Maybe it didn't happen in the time that Abraham really would have preferred. But God provided everything that Abraham needed in his time. What did Abraham do? Waited on the Lord. He trusted him. You think about even the conversations that Abraham has with Isaac. You remember when Isaac tells Abraham, he, he's inventory, he's going through the inventory of their trip. We've got the donkey, we've got these servants, they're helping out, we, we've got the wood, we've got the rope, we, we, we've got the fire, you're carrying a knife. We, we've got all that we need, and he asks, well, what about, what about the lamb, the sacrifice? What does Abraham tell him? God will provide. God will provide. And even reiterated at the very end of the story, as Abraham names the place, when God does provide the ram caught in the thicket, names the place the Lord will provide. You see, Abraham trusted in God to be there for him. That's what we have to do. When we find ourselves in moments of testing, when we find ourselves in moments of difficulty, like Abraham, we have to trust God will provide what is needed. Maybe not on my time. Maybe not in my way that I would prefer, but to trust enough that he will provide what is needed. I mean, in a lot of ways... It's the very definition about what faith is. That's why this story is found in Hebrews chapter 11. And so we've got to be willing to take that step. And so let's think about how we've operated in living our holy life. I want to throw a couple of questions your way, and I want you to think about the answer to these questions as we're sitting here and studying together. I want you to think about the test that you have endured, maybe the suffering that you have endured because you are striving to live a holy life. Question one, have you trusted in him or trusted in yourself? You see, in the moments of testing or in the moments of suffering, if you are going to put your trust in self Instead of your trust in God, you will step off of the path that he has provided for you. Not some of the time, every time. And so we've got to be trusting in him, not in ourselves. I'll throw another question out there. Is there even moments that you can think about where you have avoided moments of testing? Or you have avoided moments of suffering because of fear? Where your mindset is, now if I live holy, if I make a holy decision here and I step over here and separate myself from the world, if I make this holy decision, that will bring about difficulty. And then we say, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to do that. If we're thinking that way, we're struggling with our faith because God will provide what we need. If we trust him and we take that step away. You see, in all of this, it comes down to focus on God, bringing him the glory. I'm going to give you a couple of more questions, one bad one and one much, much better one. When we think about this idea of focus on God, focus on bringing him the glory, focus on everything him instead of ourselves, in moments of suffering or in moments of difficulty, we often ask ourselves a question 
and it's a bad question. We find ourselves in trouble. We find ourselves suffering. We find ourselves in some difficulty, some difficult test that has been laid out in front of us. And we immediately ask ourselves the question, how can I get out of this? That's one of the first questions that we often will ask. How can, this is hard, this is tough, this is too much. How can I get out of this? When we ask ourselves that question, I want you to understand that is the wrong question. I would encourage you this morning to switch that around a little bit. Instead of asking yourself the question, how can I get out of this? Try asking yourself the question, what can I get out of this? Or how can I glorify God in this? Those are two much better questions. You see, it's not about trying to get out of it. God is helping me and he's doing so in his own time. And so now I can simply focus on what can I get out of it? What can I learn? How can I grow? And most certainly, how can I glorify God? If we constantly are thinking about how can I get out of this, it's going to sound weird to say it, but we will waste our moments of suffering. We don't think about it that way very often. We don't like wasting moments. We don't like wasting opportunities. And that's what tests and suffering is. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to glorify God. It is an opportunity to speak about him to others who are watching. When they see you and they know you're going through something hard, they know you're going through some difficulty, and they see how you are operating. If I'm only thinking about how can I get out of this, I'm going to waste that opportunity. You see, God gave Abraham an opportunity here. And it's very hard for us to think about it that way, but that's what he did. He gave Abraham an opportunity, an opportunity to exhibit his faith and to glorify God. There's no one that did that better than Jesus. You think about Jesus himself, and you think about passages like Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, when you have right after that passage that we've been reading from in Hebrews chapter 11 so often, right after that in Hebrews chapter 12, as the writer there leans into Hebrews chapter 11 and almost gives us a therefore in a lot of ways, he says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, he says, you, you need to look to Jesus. You need to look to Jesus because here was someone who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We need to look to see how Jesus handled himself there. The suffering that he went through, the difficulty that he went through in the life that he led. We need to look to Jesus to see how, how we can do it. Certainly all of the other men and women that are in Hebrews chapter 11, but most certainly Jesus, how did he handle himself? How did he deal with the difficulties? Was he going through all that he went through as he lived and as he made his way to the cross? Was Jesus, how can I get out of this? How, he could have gotten out of it easy. Even on the cross, when he was mocked, his power was mocked. When the other, there was one saying there, if you are the Christ, 
proven and come on down. Guess what he could have done? He could have come on down. That would have been him thinking, how can I get out of this? You see, Jesus is the ultimate example for us. Even we see in John chapter 17 what his mindset was at the very outset of going to the garden where he is arrested and then mock trial that he went through and ultimately on the cross just hours later he says there in John chapter 17 and verse 1 Father the hour has come glorify your son that your son may glorify you you see that's where his focus was and in times of difficulty in times of suffering it's where our focus needs to be and so as we kind of bring to a bow, put a bow on this little section here. Don't waste your moments of testing. Don't waste your moments of suffering. Trust that God has it. He has it all under control. Trust that he'll provide what is needed. You focus on how in that moment you can bring glory to him. That's what our focus should be. That's certainly where Abraham's focus was. Well, this story of Abraham and Isaac, this father and son, is an incredible picture of Christ and his father. In a lot of ways, it has that relationship written all over it. What we think about the relationship of father and son, as we see in Abraham and Isaac, most certainly this picture here, but as we expand the story of Abraham and most certainly expand the story of Isaac, it is one of the best, I mean the very best, pictures of Jesus and his life, most certainly on the cross that we have anywhere in the pages of the Old Testament. The whole story of Isaac in a lot of ways points continually to Jesus. You you go back to his miraculous birth. Isaac's miraculous birth and how that points specifically to Jesus. You can go just beyond this to Isaac's marriage and the parallels that you have to Christ and his bride, the church. But most certainly here in Genesis chapter 22 of Abraham and Isaac on the mountain with Jesus' own death and resurrection. It is a picture that is to amplify what Jesus has done for us. There are so many parallels. I want to point out just a few to you that can help us as we consider Jesus and the sacrifice that was made. That's why we have so many parallels. That's why we have so many types or shadows that you make mention of, so many references to Jesus and so many references to his life and so many references to his death that God wants us to see Jesus, not only in the pages of the New Testament, but throughout Scripture. God wants us constantly seeing Jesus. And that's why we constantly have pictures like this, where easy parallels can be made. We're not going to go fishing and digging deep to pull some obscure parallel out of this passage about Jesus. They are in your face. And I think that certainly was the purpose of this story. And so there's a couple of things that I want to point out. And the first one is this. You see father and son acting together. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 22. And I want to draw your attention to the phrasing in a couple of places. We have Genesis chapter 22 and verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And listen, the two of them went together. 
It's the same phrase that you'll see again just a couple of verses further in verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. This is something that they were doing together. It is the relationship that they had, father and son. The clarity of a father and a son and the love that they have for one another. It is screaming out in this passage in Genesis chapter 22. We we didn't read this verse, but just after where we stopped in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 22, the angel of the Lord is, is calling again to Abraham, and he says this in verse 16, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your son, your only son. In spite of this incredible relationship, in spite of the love that he had for his son, we are reminded he did not withhold him. And that's exactly the phrasing that's used with God. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, specifically, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, Paul reminds the brethren there in Rome and all of us that God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Did God not love his son? Did God not have a great relationship with his son? Well, certainly he did. But in spite of that, he delivered up his son for us. You see, this is a story here in Genesis chapter 22 of father and son. And certainly the story of Jesus is a story of father and son. And so the father and son we see are acting together. Secondly, the son had to die. We saw in Genesis chapter 22, we've read it already a couple of times, we won't read it again, but in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 6, what was the mindset of Abraham? Abraham understood the son was going to die. Why do we know that? Well, listen, what did he carry with him? He carried with him a torch to light the fire, and he carried a knife. He carried with him death. He knew that this was going to be the case. Now, when Abraham gets to the top of the mountain, and God does provide for him a sacrifice to take the place of Isaac, and so certainly in the case of Isaac, a substitute certainly died for him. That wasn't the case for Jesus. There was no substitute to be had. No one to step in. He was the substitute. He was the one who stepped in. He was the only sacrifice that could take away the sins of the world. God provides a ram up on the mountain. But did you, I think it's interesting as Isaac is taking inventory what he asks about, a lamb. Again, an easy parallel, an easy parallel. In John chapter 1, as John the Baptist sees Jesus and in a lot of ways introduces him to the world, he does so by describing him as a lamb. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Pointing to him, not just as a lamb, but as a sacrifice. That's what Jesus did for us. Thirdly, the son bore the burden. Throughout this story, five different times, I think, that I have counted, the wood itself is made mention of. But Isaac himself didn't start carrying it until the mountain. They get to the bottom of the mountain. Did you notice that 
the wood was placed upon Isaac. He had to bear that burden. He bore the burden of the wood. He bore that burden all the way to the top. Now, for us, it may be the easy uh, analogy of saying, well, well, well Jesus, well, that, the, the easy parallel is Jesus bore his own cross, but he really didn't do that. Someone carried that cross for him. I think that parallel certainly is there, but yet Jesus absolutely bore the burden, not necessarily of the cross, but most certainly he bore the burden of our sins. Isaiah says that directly in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. Not necessarily the burden of the cross, but we're told there by Isaiah that the Lord, the Lord laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. What did Jesus carry? Oh, he carried my sin. What did he bear? He bore my sin and your sin, the iniquity of us all. The son bore the burden. And then finally, most certainly, the son raised from the dead. And maybe you'll say, well, wait, wait a minute. Isaac didn't, die. Isaac didn't die. And if Isaac didn't die, he certainly can't raise from the dead. Well, let's go full circle back to Hebrews chapter 11. There's an amazing piece of insight that we're given in Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, the writer telling us about Abraham and this story. It's, it's psalm-like level of insight that we have. I, I often make mention of, I love in the book of Psalms where certainly the ones written by David that you can, you can go back and forth and you can see in the story of the kings of of when it is that David was going through something specific and you're able to pinpoint a psalm that he writes about that specific thing where you can get some insight into what he's thinking. Well, that, that happens here in Hebrews chapter 11. The Hebrew writer helps us. He gives us some insight into what Abraham was thinking as he's walking up that mountain. What was his mindset? Why was he able to do that? How was he able to carry himself? How was he able to go through it? I don't think he raised that knife to plunge it into his son and he just raised it and just stood there for a few hours thinking, I'm going to do it. I'm going to count to three. One, one and a half, one and three. I'm going to do it. I'm going to... I don't think that's the picture that we have here. He was going to do it. And he raised his hand to plunge that knife into his son. But the Hebrew writer helps us with his mindset. It's an amazing exhibition of faith. It says that the whole time Abraham was thinking, if I kill my son here, so many promises are based off of this son, not a son, but this son. God will raise him from the dead. It's even more amazing of that. You can go through the pages of Genesis. There's not many to go through in history before this. I don't think that there's a picture of God just routinely doing that. Where Abraham was like, just like all of the other times God has raised people from the dead, he'll do it this time. I don't think that was the idea. It was his understanding of that promise and the understanding of the control that God had. If I kill this boy, God will raise him up because he has promised through him. But Jesus, however, did die. The three days later, triumphantly rose from the dead. 
It is a powerful picture given to us here in Genesis chapter 22. Let's close with one more passage. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll try to tie both of those passages and, and pictures together. Let's close with this idea. We're thinking about our own sufferings, our own testings, and how we can handle that. Most certainly Abraham can help us, giving us principles and applications to follow. Most certainly Jesus and his own suffering can help us. This whole story is pointing to Jesus. And Peter does the same. Let's close with this. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Does it say it directly right here? But that, my friends, is a definition of holy living. Not living according to the world or the flesh or the lust of men, but according to the will of God. And even if you have to suffer to do it, Jesus suffered. So you arm yourself with that same mind. A little bit later on in that same context, in 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll close with this passage in verse 16, an admonition that Peter leaves for them, and an admonition that will be left for us this morning. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And that, my friends, is what it's all about. An incredible picture given to us of how to deal with sufferings and difficulty from the story of Abraham and Isaac but most certainly from the story of Jesus. You constantly be keeping that story, Jesus, in the front of your minds. We are equipped to handle whatever this world is apt to bring because we have Jesus, and that ultimately is the key. And as we're about to stand and sing a song that Mark is going to lead us in, it gives us that opportunity to be thinking about our relationship with Jesus. It is our sin which separates us from God. It is that sin that Jesus sacrificed himself for. It is Jesus who has done everything for us. It is God who has sacrificed everything for us. He has made a way, made a way, so that that sin can be removed and that we can live eternally with him. And that way is to come in contact with his blood. And the way to do that is through baptism. Romans chapter 6 teaches us. Washing our sins away. Striving then to live a holy life. For God is holy. Maybe we can help you in some way this morning. If we can, you let us know as we stand and sing.